This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the recent episodes that have come your way. Plenty of them there. Uh, the Terry Venables one, there was a couple where I took a look at England's summer of youth and also the ones focusing in on the Lionesses. Uh, one about Serena Weigman's World Cup squad. They are all available on your podcast provider of choice or... ThreeLionsPodcast.com And just mentioning the Lionesses there, it's just been recently announced that they will play a home friendly at Milton Keynes Stadium before they head off down under. Portugal are the opponents. I'm sure tickets going to be in high demand for that one. Uh, they are, of course, available via the FA. Now, before I crack on with this episode, just a quick one to say congratulations to Manchester City. Premier League, FA Cup, Champions League. They done the treble, didn't they? They're not going to hear the end of that for a little while. Uh, also to West Ham. Strange season for them, wasn't it? Atrocious in the league, but victory in Europe. Jared Bowen too. This time last year, he was earning his four caps in that ill-fated Nations League campaign. Uh, I also want to give a special mention to England's cerebral palsy team. IFCPF runners-up in the European Championships. Well done to the guys for getting so far. Also, I hope your season has been a successful one. If not, well, there's always next year. And of course, there's always England. OK then, on to this episode. Plenty to squeeze in. Our senior men haven't been in action since March when we took that trip to Napoli and then entertained Ukraine at Wembley. We took a maximum six points as we opened Group C in our qualification for next year's European Championships in Germany. It was a 2-1 win over Italy, one which saw Harry Kane become England's all-time record goalscorer and then a routine 2-0 win over Ukraine. Goals from Kane and Saka. And we'll be hoping to do the same again as we face Malta away Friday the 16th of June and then North Macedonia at Old Trafford on the following Monday the 19th. So on this episode we'll be looking at Gareth's latest squad which was announced on Wednesday the 24th of May which seems quite a little while ago now doesn't it and well in advance of these international fixtures. I guess he... uh, He came to the conclusion that it was the end of the season. A little more time on his hands, I reckon. And as per usual, I'll be speaking with some people who know our opponents better than I do. And as England are playing away from Wembley, I've got a guide to our host city of Manchester. Currently, Group C looks like this. We are top with six points, Italy second with three. Now, as it is a five-team group, 
North Macedonia, they have only played one game, but they are third. Uh, Ukraine also only played one game, uh, but as we know, they lost that to us. They're fourth, and Malta are currently bottom, having played two games, but lost them both to North Macedonia and Italy. Now, this international window won't see Italy playing a game in this qualification group, as they are in Nations League finals action, along with Spain, Croatia and the Netherlands. Which, incidentally, if they happen to win that and don't happen to qualify from our group, then I believe they'll automatically qualify for the Euros, or certainly go forward to the playoffs. Uh, But with this in mind, we stand a great chance of bagging another six points and, and ultimately being nine points ahead of them come their next qualifier in September. Uh, It's potentially a fantastic position to be in. So, that squad, as I said, announced on Wednesday the 24th of May, a squad of 25, almost three weeks in advance of our game against Malta. Uh, It's it's almost old news now, isn't it? You may have even forgotten some of the players. I'm thinking the only other time he's selected so early is when tournament squads have been announced and even that may be not so early now with the Champions League final being played five days before it Gareth he's already mentioned the likelihood of any Manchester City players picked would probably miss the Malta game so yeah your Jack Grealishes, Carl Walkers, Phil Foden, John Stones maybe Declan Rice as well obviously being involved in West Ham's Europa Conference final too Now, he's selected 18 from the previous squad that played Italy and Ukraine. We have a squad of three goalkeepers, nine defenders, seven in midfield and six forwards. Let's run through it and then get into the nitty gritty. Those three goalkeepers, Sam Johnston, Jordan Pickford, Aaron Ramsdale. Defenders, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Lewis Dunk, Mark Gouy, Harry Maguire, Tyrone Mings, Luke Shaw... John Stones, Kieran Trippier, Kyle Walker, uh, Kyle the oldest one in the squad at 33, Jude Bellingham, the youngest at 19, Eberetche Eze uh, from Crystal Palace is the only uncapped player in, Conor Gallagher, Jordan Henderson, James Madison, Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, uh, forwards Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Bakayo Saka and Callum Wilson. It is a squad with an average age of 26.8, 756 caps across it and 108 goals. Of course, 55 of those belonging to our captain and all-time England record goalscorer, Harry Kane. And who'd bet against him adding to that either against Malta, or North Macedonia. It's a squad that consists of five from Manchester City, three from Crystal Palace and Manchester United, two from Arsenal, Liverpool and Newcastle, and one from Everton, Brighton, Aston Villa, Chelsea, Leicester, West Ham, Tottenham. And at the time it was selected, uh, Duke Bellingham, of course, was at Borussia Dortmund. Well, he's now a Galactico, isn't he? He's now a Real Madrid player. And with respect to both Malta and North Macedonia, I think this is a squad where Gareth can afford to experiment a little, bring in 
a new face or recall those that haven't been around the camp for a little while. Uh, in goal, of course, it's highly likely that we'll see Jordan Pickford for both games. Although he, he may see Aaron Ramsdale some action, maybe a second half sub if things are going to plan. Sam Johnston returns to the fold for the first time since March last year. Although he withdrew from that um, squad, you may remember. No Nick Pope this time. Uh, he's injured. In defence, good to see Lewis Dunk get another opportunity, having not been selected since 2018. His one cap coming against the States. Remember the Wayne Rooney Foundation game? Uh, but he's been part of a Brighton team that has, of course, won European football for next season. So fully deserves his call-up. Tyro Mings is back for the first time since March last year. Uh, you may remember his last touch of that game was to score the third goal in the victory against Ivory Coast. Uh, and of course, with Aston Villa gaining European football next year, like Lewis Dunk, fully deserves his selection. Uh, in midfield, as we've already mentioned, Jude Bellingham at 19 Highly likely to add to his 24 caps. Uh, the first major move of the summer, isn't it? After winning the Bundesliga Player of the Season, massive achievement considering his age. Uh, and just agonisingly missing out on the title, didn't he? Uh, he's now made his move to Real Madrid for £88.5 million, which apparently could increase to 115 with all the various add-ons. Cracking move for him. Real chance to make that step up for one of the world's biggest clubs. Him and Vinicius Junior, the Galacticos. They're, they're going to be back, aren't they? Albeit in a maybe a younger fashion than before. And I guess just whilst we're on the subject of Real Madrid, speculation at the moment, Harry Kane is catching their eye following the departure of uh, Karim Benzema. He's gone to some Saudi club I believe hasn't he uh, as I mentioned the only new uncapped player is Crystal Palace's Ebreche Eze uh, he's had a great season 10 goals for him for Palace he was actually called up to the squad in May 2021 as part of Gareth's initial 33 um, for the Euros but he was injured on the first day so he's clearly been part of the manager's thoughts maybe it's Maybe it's just a surprise that it's taken this long. I do have to say, though, Conor Gallagher, Chelsea's only representative, I struggle with. Against Italy and Ukraine, he only came on for the last five minutes of both games. And we know Chelsea, though. <laughs> they had a mare of a season, didn't they? But, but then again, serve Leicester. James Madison is in. If I'm talking in this way, I guess I could also say the same of... Jordan Pickford at Everton too. Calvin Phillips is in, fresh from making his first league start for Manchester City recently. Uh, up front, Phil Foden is back after he withdrew from the last squad when he had his appendix removed. Callum Wilson is back in. It's not featured since that game against Wales in Qatar. One goal to his name, scored on his debut against USA in that game I mentioned earlier. Uh, he's had a good season with Newcastle. And with Ivan Tony now unavailable until January next year because of his ban, this is an ideal opportunity for Callum to stake a claim going forward. You'd like to think he'll 
make good use of this opportunity. So other than Ivan Tony, who else has missed out? Well, Raheem Sterling has supposedly taken himself out of the frame for for not feeling himself in his performances. I, I salute that, actually. Someone who's taken the responsibility for himself. I think everyone can see that he's not the player he was when he was at City. And I've never really felt he's been at his best for Chelsea. Perhaps this break at the uh, the end of the season will do him good. Really hope so. Uh, there's no Ben White, no Connor Cody, Fikayo Tomori, Ollie Watkins, James Ward-Prowse. I mentioned Nick Pope is out injured. Um, so is Tottenham's Eric Dyer and Chelsea's Rhys James, Ben Chilwell and Mason Mount too. And at the time of recording this, no one has pulled out of the squad. Although I have heard a couple of whispers about Jude Bellingham and, and Bakaya Saka, but nothing concrete, certainly nothing official. Friday the 16th of June, England play their third Euro 2024 qualifier. It is away to Malta, a country we have a decent record against. This will be our sixth meeting and all previous five have been won by England. Uh, In fact, back in 2016, Malta were the opposition when Gareth Southgate began his England managerial career. A 2-0 victory at Wembley you may remember. Anyway, it's always good to learn a little more about our opponents. Uh, So I'm delighted to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Antoine Busatil from the website MaltaFootball.com. Did I get it right, your name there, Antoine? Yes, uh, perfect. Uh, it's a pleasure <laughs> for me to be with you on uh, this podcast. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, as I say, Malta are the the third opponents for England in this European campaign for Germany 2024. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to go to the game, which is which is disappointing. So I was hoping that maybe you could tell us a little bit more about Malta, the country, the team, um, maybe some sights to see around the country, and and what. Uh, I'm sure many England fans will be looking for some food and drink that you may recommend. Yes, sure. Uh, actually, uh, Malta is qu- quite popular with um, English uh, tourists and British tourists in uh, general. Um, uh, you may recall Malta was um, um, a colony of uh, the uh, British Empire. And uh, so many Englishmen still have... Um, quite strong links with Malta. In fact, um, uh, one could say that uh, the number of tourists um, of Brit English mainly, English tourists who uh, visit Malta is one of the highest compared to uh, tourists from other countries. Right. And uh, yes, and even Maltese, um, uh, England is one of uh, the favorite uh, places to visit, uh, especially right. London. Yes. Um, yeah. The fact uh, that in Malta uh, everyone speaks English, in fact, English is uh, also the uh, second official language, along with Maltese, makes it easy for uh, English, for the English uh, visiting here. Um, uh, So it's um, uh, easy for someone who uh, would like to come here for the game. Actually, the tickets for the game um, 
have uh, been sold out. Um, uh, in fact, the as far as I know, there were four thousand tickets uh, assigned to English fans. Yes, um, they were uh, sold out almost immediately, and even uh, the tickets were sold to uh, the locals. Uh, they uh, were sold in a matter of a few hours. So it's having, going to uh, be a, a full house. Yes, uh, yes. Um, uh, having the uh, English national team uh, playing here is um, something which uh, Maltese uh, fans look forward to, having the pleasure to watch uh, a team like England, even Italy, uh, which uh, visited uh, Malta um, in last March. It's uh, always a pleasure to have uh, such strong teams uh, playing against uh, the national team. Yeah, I, I can imagine it's going to be a, a lot of, let's say, 4,000 English fans coming across, and I'm sure many will also be trying to... Uh, I've looked at getting tickets in the, the home end um, into the Maltese end. I know that's happened previously. Um, well, let's let's start with the, the stadium. Is it the Talcali Stadium? Yes, it's uh, the area is called uh, Ta'ali. Actually, it's called the National Stadium. Um, it's the largest stadium on the island. that um, has uh, a capacity of uh, around 17,000 spectators. It was built in uh, the early 80s, and um, so far it's uh, still the largest stadium. Uh, it also hosts uh, al- most of uh, the uh, Premier League matches. Unlike other countries, uh, football in Malta, top-level football, is not played on a home and away basis. The fact okay. that there aren't uh, many stadiums uh, who are uh, up to standard who can host top-level matches. The league is mainly played in uh, three or four stadiums. Okay. Um, the, the national stadium, which hosts um, the biggest games, and then there are uh, another three stadiums, the uh, Hibernian Stadium, the Centennial Stadium, and sometimes um, another stadium, the Victor Tedesco Stadium, is used as well. Now, the, the stadium, yeah. it's uh, up in the, the northern part of the country. How easy is it to get to for fans if they are, um, I don't know, maybe staying elsewhere on the island? Is there good public transport? Well, uh, there is uh, public transport who uh, caters also uh, for uh, to travel to the National Stadium. But um, uh, another uh, option is the um, um, cabs, taxis, uh, apart from the uh, the white taxis. There are uh, Uber, Bolt, e-cabs. Um, uh, their prices aren't, do not cost that much. So uh, it's also a possibility. The As I lo- told you, the, the, the public transport buses, um, uh, there would be buses. But uh, sometimes uh, it's even uh, easier to uh, use um, taxis as well. Oh, I see. And there'll be plenty of those around after the game, will there? Yes, definitely. Oh, good stuff. Now, the the team, we're talking be- before the uh, the squad has been announced for, for Malta, I believe. Now, what I have seen um, from previous games, as you say, uh, Malta have already played Italy is quite remarkably the vast majority of the the Maltese squad do play in that Maltese league that you mentioned for the likes of um, is it Hibernians or Valletta uh, or Hammer and Spartans? They're very localized, aren't they? 
Yes, uh, it's true. Um, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, there are not a large number of uh, Maltese players uh, playing abroad. The reasons for that, uh, maybe several. Maybe um, being Mediterranean, uh, sometimes uh, they prefer the comfort zone of uh, of staying on the island and uh, playing for one uh, of uh, the top clubs here. R- rather um, than rainy uh, England. Yes. <laughs> Actually, uh, in the squad, there is uh, one player who uh, plays in England. It's uh, Jody Jones, who plays for uh, Notts County. That's right. Of, of uh, Oxford, but uh, this uh, year he was on uh, loan with uh, Notts County, had a good spell with Notts County. Actually, he's, uh, he qualified for, to play for Malta since he has, uh, um, I, if not, not mistaken, his uh, grandfather is uh, Maltese and uh, has been playing for Malta for the past uh, couple of years. Uh, there's also James Brown, who plays for St. Johnston in uh, Scotland as well. Okay, I've I've also read that there's a player called Luke Gambin who um, Sutton United fans may recognise. Does he still play? Um, Unfortunately, um, uh, for the past uh, three years, he was uh, hardly uh, called up for the team. Oh, Wikipedia needs to uh, update themselves. (laughs) Yes, actually, uh, um, when he first was first called for the national team. He uh, was doing quite well. But uh, then, um, uh, two years ago, uh, he decided to move uh, to Malta uh, to play for Hamron Spartans. Um, Hamron Spartans are currently uh, the champions. Okay. Uh, but uh, during that season, he um, disappointed. He, uh, last summer, he moved back to the uh, UK, but still his uh, level was not uh, the same as... Uh, we had uh, seen before, um, three, four years ago, he uh, performed much better uh, then. And so um, the uh, current national coach, uh, who's an Italian, uh, Michele Marcolini, opted uh, to uh, leave him out. Uh, unfortunately for Luke Gambin, uh, had missed the uh, game at Wembley uh, as he was sent off. Uh, in the previous game, and he was really looking forward to uh, to play now. But um, unfortunately for him, his uh, performances were not deemed to be um, up to the required standard, and uh, unfortunately, he has not made it to the to the uh, thirty-three men squad. Right now, there's a thirty-three men squad who had been uh, training together for the past couple of weeks especially the local uh, local based ones because uh, the others based abroad mainly they are still engaged with their clubs um, in the final stages of uh, their championships right. uh, but uh, the local based ones have been training together for the past couple of weeks uh, in order to uh, prepare in the best way possible for uh, uh, the England game and uh, the one against Ukraine three days later, which will be played in uh, Turnava, Slovakia. Uh, that's right. Yes. So, who who is the the star man for Malta? Who should England uh, look out for? I would mention uh, two players mainly. It's, yep. uh, the first one is uh, Teddy Teuma. Um, uh, he plays for uh, a Belgian club, uh, Union Saint Gilois. 
Um, they uh, were quarterfinalists in the Europa League and uh, are currently fighting for the championship in, uh, in Belgium, in the uh, top division. Uh, and the other player is uh, Matthew Gulaimir, another midfielder. Um, he's uh, currently on the books of uh, Hamron Spartans, Hamron Spartans who uh, were crowned champions uh, for the second time in three years. Right now, they are the strongest side on the island. Uh, both have been uh, performing at uh, a very high level and um, undoubtedly are they are uh, the best two players right now uh, in the team i see okay it'll be exciting to see what they uh, what they're like on the night so take us around malta a little bit what what would you recommend for supporters coming to the country to what is there to see well actually um, there is a mixture of everything um culture um if we start from uh, museums um the historic temples who uh, age uh, even they are, were uh, built even earlier than stonehenge for example wow um yes uh, there uh, is a lot of culture to to see for those who are not that interested in culture maybe uh, prefer food uh, the food is mainly Mediterranean. It's um, quite similar to the Italian cuisine. Actually, you'd find restaurants for all sorts of uh, cuisine on the, on the island. So uh, for those who uh, love uh, eating, they're, uh, they are definitely spoiled for choice here. Yeah. Um, for those who prefer uh, nightlife, um, the main uh, entertainment spots are... Um, St. Julian's, Slima, to a certain extent, uh, St. Paul's Bay and Aura. Mainly, it's um, English people who come to Malta prefer um, uh, the St. Paul's Bay area. Okay, right. Uh, actually, um, uh, most people who move to Malta from England usually stay in that area. Um, but uh, the uh, biggest con- concentration of clubs and uh, pubs is uh, definitely in uh, St. Julian's. Oh, so uh, they have two good options. The The good thing is that uh, for someone visiting Malta, you can reach anywhere uh, from one side to the other of the island in uh, less than an hour. Okay. Most, places, most places you'll be there in uh, half an hour. Apart from Malta, there's also the island of Gozo. So for those who... Uh, are planning to come to Malta and uh, spend uh, three, four days. Um, definitely one day would uh, it's worth visiting uh, the island of, of Gozo, uh, although it's obviously very close. It's just a 25-minute uh, ferry away from uh, Malta. It has different characteristics. Um, it's um, more laid back. The, um, the atmosphere there, it's uh, more relaxing. More, uh, you can see more nature because Malta, um, being a small island, being uh, quite densely populated, it's a bit more built up than Gozo. Um, uh, and there are uh, lots of things uh, to see in Gozo as well. Yeah, it sounds like my type of place. Um, but what's what is the uh, do you have a brewery on, on Malta? What's the local beer or the, the, the drink of choice for Maltese people? Uh, the, the number one uh, beer is definitely called Chisk, uh, C-I-S-K. 
It's um, a brewery who's uh, been around for almost 100 years now. It's, um, uh, their lager especially has uh, won uh, several awards abroad. They have also ales, uh, pilsner, various uh, types of beers, but uh, the Chisk Lager, the original, it's definitely uh, the number one. Yeah, so uh, I, I hope the, uh, the bars will be stocking up for the, uh, the England supporters that are coming. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about um, the website, MaltaFootball.com of yours. Well, um, uh, I have been following football since I was uh, a kid. I was supporting uh, my local club. Uh, I hail from Rabat and uh, the club is called Rabat Ajax. Uh, like the uh, Ajax of Amsterdam. Uh, okay. Um, actually, when uh, I was um, uh, young, the team uh, had just been promoted to the Premier League for the first time. And uh, in uh, a few years, they managed to win uh, the championship. Oh, wow. Uh, then, uh, as I grew older, I was uh, becoming more interested in statistics and started collecting statistics. And uh, in uh, 1996, uh, I decided to set up a website. Uh, actually, in Malta, um, internet was introduced in 1995. So one year later, I um, just read a few tutorials uh, how to <laughs> set up a, a website and uh, started putting statistics um, uh, about uh, Maltese football. Um, well done. So... It has uh, been running since then, since uh, for uh, 26 years now, actually 27 years. It covers the uh, local football from uh, the Premier League up to uh, all uh, youth leagues, uh, women's football, which uh, is uh, becoming uh, more popular. Um, Actually, the uh, Maltese women's national team has been uh, performing uh, quite well in recent years, even exporting a number of players uh, uh, abroad. Well, back to uh, the website. Um, uh, it's practically a one-man job. I have been running it uh, since 1996, uh, obviously with the assistance of photographers mainly um, in order to enrich uh, the website. It, uh, covers um, the local league with uh, reports from the Premier League and all results, um, scorers and statistics from uh, the other divisions. You do do a grand job. Well done. Um, Just going back to the the big game um, between Malta and England, what what do you expect? How, How will that game pan out? Well, it's definitely uh, not an easy game. Um, This style of play, um, uh, Malta plays, usually uh, Malta find it a bit difficult when facing uh, British teams. In fact, for example, last um, November, there was a friendly with uh, Ireland, just a few days after a friendly against Greece. Greece play uh, the Mediterranean style of football. Um, even like Italy do uh, and other uh, Mediterranean countries. And uh, in fact, for example, against Greece, Malta did uh, very well. It was a 2-2 draw, a a great performance. Three days later, the friendly match against Ireland, Malta 
found it uh, a bit more difficult. Uh, actually, it uh, ended in the 0-1 defeat. Um, uh, but still, the fact that um, uh, playing against a team like England definitely makes enables the players to get the best out of them. Because knowing that playing against such a strong team, one would definitely try not his 100%, but 200%. For example, I, uh, I remember the game in, in Wembley. Many thought that Malta would uh, suffer heavy defeat in Wembley. Actually, um, on the day, uh, I, re- I remember I was present for uh, that game uh, in uh, 2016. In particular, there was the goalkeeper, Andrew Hawke, who played a brilliant game, most probably one of the best of his career. And uh, in fact, although uh, England uh, tried hard on the day, Malta managed to limit the damages. It was only, okay, it's, it's still a loss, but it was only a 0-2 defeat. And uh, a 0-2 de- defeat against England uh, in Wembley is definitely a- acceptable. Now, um, hopefully, Malta will do well. Um, Malta, since last um, last December, has a new coach, uh, Michele Marcolini, uh, because uh, the previous coach, Davis Manja, had uh, to leave uh, the post and he was replaced by another Italian. Compared to the previous coach, coach maybe he does not have the similar experience because Davis Manja was, for example, coach of the Italy under-21 national team, um, while uh, Marcolini has been coaching mainly in uh, the Italian Serie B and Serie C. Uh, but uh, so far... Um, uh, the performance in uh, the first uh, games they played um, was quite encouraging, both against North Macedonia, uh, where Malta lost uh, 2-1 in Skopje, and uh, even against Italy, uh, the uh, tunnel defeat. As part of the coaching staff, um, uh, there is um, Davide Mazzotta, who was also part of Antonio Conte's uh, staff while he was at Chelsea. Um, okay. David Mazzotta, he was um, assistant coach with uh, Davis Manja, uh, with the, the national team uh, for for three years, and now he's assistant coach as well with um, uh, Marcolini. Um, uh, he's a, a great technician, although hasn't, um, he isn't the actual coach. He uh, has um, released his mark because his um, the tactics, the way he prepares the tactics, um, it's something uh, uh, really great. Okay, well, it's going to be an interesting game then. Perhaps, I mean, some England fans may think it will be um, one sided, but as you've said, the 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 performance against North Macedonia and only the the small loss against Italy proves that Malta aren't they're not. A, you're not a walkover, are you, anymore? No. Um, in uh, recent years, uh, the mentality changed because, unfortunately, before, if we speak about eight, ten years ago, and uh, even as, uh, if we go back to 20, 30 years ago, um, unfortunately, there was uh, this uh, inferiority complex that when Malta was playing against a strong team, whether it was England, Germany, Italy, whatever, the plan was too defensive with almost all players crowding the area 
and without trying to create something. Uh, this mentality has been changing in recent years, especially with um, the previous coach, uh, Davis Manja, and even with uh, the new coach, uh, Marcolini. Uh, the mentality is changing that even if, obviously, we know that England, uh, player by player, it's, uh, they are better than Malta, but at least the, uh, the Maltese players are trying to play their game trying to create something, at least they're trying to score. Unfortunately, there were periods of times where uh, Malta would uh, sometimes even fail to score a single goal in uh, the qualifiers. Now that thing is changing, definitely. Well, we, we shall see. Perhaps they will score. Perhaps they'll score against England. We shall see. Um, Antoine, thank you very much for joining us. Um, maybe come November when... Uh, when Malta come to Wembley once again, I assume it will be Wembley. I'm not sure if it's been announced yet, but uh, yes, maybe... uh, it should it should be at Wembley. Yes, yeah, maybe we can speak again. Yes, sure. I'll uh, be definitely uh, traveling for the game because uh, it's something uh, I have been looking forward to to travel again uh, for uh, a game against England. Uh, so it uh, would definitely be no problem to uh, speak again. Let, uh, ahead of the game let's do that but just ahead of this game uh, i wish you all the very best and i hope the uh i hope the england fans that come over you enjoy their company yes for sure Monday, the 19th of June, England returned to Old Trafford for the first time since 2007. This time, North Macedonia are the opponents. Now, I last went to Manchester. It must have been pre-pandemic. I'll know where I am once I'm there, uh, but it's always good to get a guide as to uh, the city where England are playing. And who better to guide us around Manchester than John Costadine, fully qualified tour guide, an operator of Manchester Taxi Tours, uh, uh, manchestertaxitours.co.uk. Hello, John. Hello, Russell. How are you? I'm all good, thank you. Yourself? <laughs> Very well, thank you. Are you looking forward to coming back to Manchester? Yeah, of course I am. Of course, I always love coming up to Manchester. I didn't realise until you said then, when the last time that England played at Old Trafford, it uh, was in 2007. I didn't realise it was so long ago. Yeah, Spain, and we lost. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> they were a good side I then. I couldn't remember the score. But I, I, um, yeah, we, we lost, didn't we? But yeah. the, the whole atmosphere around Manchester, or when England play around the country, is absolutely fantastic. I, re- I remember it well because I was working on the taxis at the time. And it, it just, people come from all over the country and all over the world to watch England. Obviously, the away fans come as well. And it's just fantastic. The atmosphere is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's always good when uh, when England get to go visit around the country. Um, obviously, when this was when Wembley was being being rebuilt um that's right yes so uh yes it's going to be good to uh good to come back and uh, so what i usually do is speak to a few people who are local to the the city or the town where england are playing and and you're an ideal person to uh to speak to just tell us a little bit about taxi tours manchester taxi tours 
what what I did, Russell, was I've worked on the I've worked on the taxis for many many years, and the I saw a sort of the way things were going. If you remember that two thousand and seven two thousand and eight was just around the start of the financial crash, oh, um, right. and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Uh, what am I going to do? And I'm from Manchester. And what I used to do is when when people get in my taxi, I engage with them. So you're generally picking people up the airport or the stations or on the rank taxi ranks anywhere. And what you do, what I did was start engaging with people. And I used to make stuff stuff up, Russell. I used to make up stories about this is where the Queen stays when she comes to Manchester. This is Hogwarts Palace, that type of thing. And I saw them. Uh, an advertisement for a tour guiding course that was run by a company, the tourism arm of Manchester City Council, which is called uh, Marketing Manchester and Visit Manchester, like the, the tourism arm that brings people into the city. And I saw this tour guiding course advertised. And I thought, that's for me. And I went on this tour guiding course, not having any thought about how it would pan out. I just thought, I'm going to go on this course just to improve my knowledge of the city. And also, sort of, so I could add a little bit of value to people's taxi journeys. So rather than making stuff up, I could tell the truth. So this then, I went on the course and I was a bit intimidated at first because it was the first time I'd had any sort of formal education since I left school. And anyway, I got through the course and I passed the course. Still had no idea where I was going to go with it. And I realised that I didn't know enough about the business side of the business. And I went back to university and the, the whole experience was just fantastic. That led then in about 2011, 2012 to, to sort of formally setting up Manchester Taxi Source, still having no idea where I was going to go with it. And anyway, I, I got a website and Twitter and Facebook and all the sort of modern business essentials that you need that I learned about when I went back to university. So I set it up. And um, surprisingly enough, people started contacting me yeah. via my website going, oh, can we have a taxi tour on such and such a day? And this then, it was a fairly steep learning curve. But I was taking people around the city. So Manchester is a fascinating city. Many, many different areas and aspects known as the world's first industrial city. And it was the cotton industry that put Manchester on the map. And post-industrialization. Manchester has changed dramatically. So what I could do there is take people from Roman times that Manchester was first settled by the Romans in AD 79, right through to the latest developments. And also with a look into the future, because this was before Media City had been sort of properly finished and, yeah. and sort of a lot of the new uh, city centre apartments and restaurants and all these different aspects of the city, because you find yourself, Russell, won't you? When you come to Manchester, you go, where's that come from? That wasn't there before. Or where's those skyscraper buildings come? It, this is a very fast-growing city at the moment. And that then, it makes it attractive for people to visit. Yeah. And also, the, the university area of Manchester is fascinating. So all these different aspects of the city all fit together to make it really attractive. And you never really meet anyone that's got a bad word to say about Manchester. They've either been for the weekend for football, music, just general partying, or they've, they've been to university in Manchester and they, and they like it because of the education that they got from there. Or they just had generally a good time with Manchester people because 
as you know yourself, Russell, Manchester people are the friendliest people you'll ever meet anywhere. I know a few. I know a few. <laughs> so, OK, so the vast majority of people, I reckon, will will either be driving up or they'll get the train and they'll come into to Piccadilly, um, yeah. as I've done in the past. Yeah. Um, fairly central from what I remember. So and the chances are a lot of them are going to be thinking, right, I want a beer. I want something to eat before the game. Where where do you recommend? Well, Manchester is a very compact city. And also what they say is that you can eat a different style of cuisine every day for six weeks. So yeah, you've yeah. got your choice. You've got your choice. You can. There's a huge Chinatown in the city centre, in the Arndale Centre, which is the main shopping centre. There's an international food court. There's pubs all around the city that will do fish and chips. There's little chippies around as well where you can get you know, cheap food, you know, good quality, cheap food. You know, if you've got the kids with you, bringing them to the match, you don't want, maybe don't want to go in a pub. So there's little chip chops around. So there's everything that you could possibly want in the city. And some of the great places, one of the great football pubs is a pub called the Old Nags Head. And this is on a place called Jackson's Row, which is right in the heart of the city, just off Deansgate. It sits between Deansgate and Albert Square. And it's a traditional Manchester pub that has an entrance on two streets. Right. And the stories go that if you were in there drinking and your wife came in, you could run out the other door and carry on drinking in the next <laughs> pub. But the way modern times are now, Russell, is more likely to be your wife that's in there drinking <laughs> and you going looking for her. So and that the truth. <laughs> so there's all these places. So there's the oldie, the oldie worldy sort of traditional Manchester pub right up until the the most exclusive bars like the Ivy, the Alchemist, 20 stories that are in the spinning fields area of the city. And they're all fairly close together because Manchester is a very compact city. So there's also the Shambles Square, which is where a lot of the away fans are directed to. So these are medieval uh, buildings that have been turned into pubs. The whole city is geared up for enjoyment. Nice one. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Boddington's a Manchester beer? Boddington's is a Manchester beer. But unfortunately, Russell, and as, any, as soon as anyone ever mentions Boddington's, I think back to the first time I ever had a pint, ever. You always remember it, don't yeah. you? And it was a pint of Boddington's. And I still remember the taste. And I still salivate. It's not the same as it was. It's still nice, but it's not like that original Boddington's. There's also Holtz's beer, which is which is brewed in Manchester, which is a nice beer as well. But you have to be careful because it's quite a strong beer. So for the for someone who's coming up from down south, be careful. It might be <laughs> a bit strong for you. <laughs> I'm trying to think. There was one time I went up there and and I, someone pointed out a pub to me and they said they said it's either the smallest pub or the second smallest it's pub. The, I know which one you mean. It's called the Circus Tavern, and it's on Portland Street, which is just around the corner from Piccadilly Railway Station, the smallest bar in the world. That's, yeah. Yeah, and it has a bar that's about the size of a tea tray, and and then and it gets packed, and you get a lot of the, the football fans will go in there. That's also next to a pub called the Grey Horse, which is half Manchester United, 
and half Manchester City. So there's a line around the wall inside the pub. And on one side, they've got City City pictures. On the other side, they've got okay. United pictures. And that's the unity in Manchester, isn't it? You know, we're yeah. all... We all we divide through the football, but we're all brought together through the football as well. Course, yeah. Well, a lot of people, if they're not coming up by train, they're going to be driving up. Um, yeah. And, and Old Trafford is on the west of the city, and it's near a place called Salford Keys in Media City. And there's lots of places to park around there. If you park in Salford Keys in Media City, there's multi-storey car parks, and it's only a short walk to the ground. And also, it's easy to get away from afterwards. Okay. So this then gives you the different options to, to to park. So it's very accessible because Manchester United are used to huge crowds coming into the into the game, aren't they? You know, seventy six and seventy six and a half thousand fans come to watch pretty much every game of Manchester United. So there's no shortage of places to park. You can park around the stadium. I think you can even book parking spaces within the stadium complex as well so depending on if you've got mobility issues you might need to park nearer to the ground so I think if you go on Old Trafford uh, Manchester United's website you'll probably be able to book parking as well but within walking distance there's so many places to park uh, it's really easy. Gotcha and if it's, it's when you come out of the ground that that's the difficult bit because when you go to the game Everybody goes at different times, don't they? You go mm. and park up and maybe you go for a pint near the ground or maybe you just go and look around the stadium or look at the different areas around Old Trafford. It's when everybody comes out at the same time, isn't it? Heading for the for the main arterial routes out of Old Trafford. That's a difficult spot. So a lot of people will park up in Media City and Salford Keys because it's easier to get out onto the motorway. Right, I see. But also... Let me give you a little bit of inside information here, Russell. Just for you, this. Don't tell anyone. Radio. But you can actually go to Manchester United, to Old Trafford Stadium, by boat. Can you? Yes, you can. And if you go online and have a look for Manchester City Centre Cruises, you can get on a, you can get on a, a canal boat in Castlefield, which is where the Roman part of Manchester is. And that takes you up the Bridgewater Canal and docks outside hotel football. Ah, which is then Gary Neville's. Which is Gary Neville's. And 20 minutes after the final whistle, it brings you back into the city. And there's no traffic on the ah, canal. There you and, go. And also, there's a bar on the boat, so you don't even have to stop drinking. I'm wondering how busy this is going to be now. Boat trips. Well, it's um, it's a great way. Book book on it if you can. Uh, it's a great way to go and see the game. Fabulous. Yeah. No traffic. Sounds like it's uh, going to Fulham down here in the south. You go well, along the I Thames. Fulham and Manchester United are the only two football grounds in the UK that you can actually go to by boat. I'll stand corrected if anybody knows, but I think as far as I know. It's the only two grounds you can go to by boat. Well, I don't know the answer to that, but the immediately uh, Nottingham comes to mind. But I don't know if you can get to the grounds along the Trent there. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'll, well, I'll, 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 I'll look forward to hearing from someone who can tell me something different. <laughs> well, if, if you know. Every day, yeah. every day is a school day, Russell, isn't it? You're always certainly learning. is. Certainly yeah. is. If someone catches your uh, cab on 
on the day of the game they'll they'll be soon they'll be sure to let you know but if someone wants <laughs> if someone wants to get the tram i know you've got the tram yes. up there what's the deal with the tram well the tram is a really convenient way to travel and from the piccadilly station uh, complex there you can take a tram directly out to old trafford there's, there's different trams you can get on one stops near the cricket ground, which, if you remember, is just across the road from Old yeah. Trafford um, Football Stadium. And also it goes through Trafford Park now, which is a new line that's been developed since you were last here. So the ground is really easy to access by tram uh, from Piccadilly, the main transport hub where the trains come in, the trains coming up from down south. So it's it's really easy. It's really accessible. And also, it's not that far out of the city to the west. So what you do find is a lot of the football fans will find the way down to the west side of the city centre and all the pubs and all the bars and all the restaurants will get packed. And then before the game, the taxis then start to kick in and people just flag the taxis down and head out to Old Trafford. So the trams, the trains, the buses, it's really easy to get to. You can also get the train out there as well. So... It's really easy to get to. Nice one. Well, taxis you, you mentioned there. Go on. Any any famous names in the back of your cab? <laughs> what stories have you got? I, I once I once picked a, a, a very famous Liverpool footballer up, and I didn't realise who he was. And I asked for money up front, and he went, "I'm Steven Gerrard." And I went, <laughs> "Oh no, what have I done?" Well, anyway, that that's life, isn't it? So you you live and learn. <laughs> Amazing, John. Just let us know the uh, the website again and and the uh, your Twitter it's handle. My, my my website is Manchester www.manchestertaxitours.co.uk. Um, my name's John Constantine. You find me all over the internet. I take my business very seriously. I do football tours of Manchester, general history tours. If you go on my website and have a look, you'll see all the different types of things I do please have a look and if you feel like having a tour while you're here we can go and see some of the players graves we can see where Manchester United used to play before they played at Old Trafford and also by then we can go and see what will may be the Champions Stadium again which is the blue side of Manchester you are blue yourself aren't you (laughs) I say nothing Russell say nothing Fair enough. John, if, if I'm when I'm up there, if I if I see you, I'll flag you down, I'll say hello to you. Give me a call, Russell. It'd be lovely to bump into you. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. Now Let's talk North Macedonia, whom we meet on Monday the 19th. Uh, A nation, quite frankly, not to be taken lightly uh, in recent years. They've made the the Euro 2020 finals. They also famously knocked out Italy in their World Cup playoffs. Although they, they didn't make it to Qatar, though, did they? They lost to Portugal. Now, we last met in 2006, ironically, also at Old Trafford. Um, incidentally, the other game in England um, with the with North Macedonia was played at Southampton. Uh, so they've never had the pleasure of playing at Wembley, uh, and it won't be this year. Uh, that game in 2006 was a, an ill-fated European Championships qualifier that ended nil-nil, featured the likes of Gary Neville, Ashley Cole, Stephen Gerrard, John Terry, Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney, 
basically the golden generation, wasn't it? Um, and the game in Southampton, well, that ended 2-2. In fact, our overall record is as follows. Played four, won two, drawn two, lost none, scored five, conceded three. Now, I'm pleased to say I've been joined by Alex from the Twitter account at Macedonian Football, uh, an account that looks at all things Macedonian football. Alex, hello. Hello. Thank Are you, you right? having me on. I'm um, good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm all good, thanks. Thanks Thanks for joining us. Yeah, ma- Macedonian football, I've got to be honest, it's it's not something that my knowledge is um, is too high on. What's what's your connection to to Macedonia? Because I know you're based here in England. Yeah, my um my my father is from Macedonia, from um Tatavo, and he moved over probably thirty years ago, sort of thing. And as I got older, I kind of found my connection with, or not connection, my interest in Macedonia kind of increase. Right. And um, I actually had the the reason I started this account is I had a friend who was um Moroccan, and we both said we wanted to do work in sort of football. We thought perfect opportunity to kind of find a, a gap in the market yeah and we started it and here i am six six years later and been, been scrolling through it recently just trying to sort of in, increase my knowledge on it um so there's some some useful pictures videos information all on there i mean as as a country again oh, I, I kind of feel um a bit naive not knowing a, a great deal about it but it used to be part of the old Yugoslavia didn't it and was part of the the long drawn out breakup yeah yeah it was it was the most southerly country in the Yugoslavia yeah and it, it borders Greece um yeah. and am I right in saying that 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 was where the it was initially known as Macedonia and then a little while later sort of Greece disputed the name and and yeah, the, the, the terminology involved in that, yeah, yeah. The terminology north came into it. Yeah. So but, whatever you say, you're not going to win, really. Greeks want it to be North Macedonia. Macedonians want, want it to be Macedonia. So, Okay. Yeah. So would I would I get away with, with saying either? To be politically correct, you probably best say North Macedonia as much as I'd rather say say Macedonia. It's best just to, to stay on the right side. Gotcha. So come on, let's let's get on to, to the football. The... The Macedonian League. You're obviously aware of the the levels of the English pyramid. What what sort of the the Macedonian League equivalent would it be? I'd probably say it's non-league sort of standard. You know, down probably like step five of English football. I'd say around that sort of level. Okay. I don't think I could see. I think maybe that's a bit harsh, but I would say the the sort of facilities and the way it's run is is probably below anything in England. Even mm. the Sunday League in England's probably ran better than the Macedonian League. Of course, there's good teams at the top of the table who would probably, I would say, probably League Two level, but I couldn't see them any, any higher than that. Yeah. I mean, this is not to to dispute the, the quality of some of the players because some of the players in the, the national team uh, are playing for, for top-level clubs around the world, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's Elmas at Napoli, who came from probably the biggest producer of national team players at Robotnitsky. And he was, I think, 18 and he had a breakout season and got his move to Fenerbahce because he has Turkish heritage. So that kind of move was always sort of like pre-planned for him. And then 
a couple of seasons in Fenerbahce and he quickly went to Napoli. And there's Alioski who played in the Premier League for Leeds, Bardi who plays in the Turkish League. So there are a fair few players who've had good careers or and will have good careers as well. Am I right in saying that maybe the only player sort of closest to home is is the guy that plays for Burnley? Is it Darko Cherlinov? Chir- yeah. He's not in the squad, unfortunately. He's had a pretty terrible season with injuries and kind of the small benches on the championship. Although there's five subs, there's only a seven, eight-man bench. And obviously Burnley have a ridiculously good squad for the championship. Mm. And even when he's been fit, he hasn't really been able to to even get on the bench. So he's he's withdrawn from the squad with an injury. And I think he's in hospital at the moment in Belgrade with uh, some sort of reaction to a, having a tooth removed or something. Oh, dear. So, is he likely to stay at Burnley? Do you think and and get some Premier League action? No, I don't think so. I think he was signed for around four million pounds. So it was quite a decent price tag, but he got injured quite quickly. Um, returned just before the World Cup break. Obviously, the World Cup break happened, and then kind of picked up a few more injuries. And at the end of the season, he was um pictured with. He came from Schalke, and oh. um is pictured with his Schalke teammates at a concert. And there's always kind of been the speculation that Schalke fans wanted to sign him in the summer because he was only on loan there, but they couldn't afford it. And now he's kind of been saying things like, I love Schalke, it's the club, my favourite club. I love the connection with the fans and the players. So he's kind of been hinting at a return to to Schalke if they can agree some sort of deal with Burnley. But I don't oh, think I he'll end up staying. I see. I mean, is there, is there anyone else in the squad that we should be aware of that maybe be unfamiliar to, to English fans? Um, I'd say the first player that pops to my mind is Alexander Tchaikovsky. Obviously, he scored the goal in Palermo and he's probably... Oh, yeah. Well, he's a high, active highest goal scorer at the moment and he seems to sort of be our man for the big occasions, I would say. He scored against Italy in 2016 as well and kind of can be a little bit invisible in, in a game, but he'll kind of pop up with a moment or a bit of skill or something like that and kind of probably be one of our biggest match winners. Okay. The group that we're all in, so far, you've just played the one game sitting in third place, but it was beating Malta on the same evening that that we beat Italy. The NN had a a 1-0 friendly victory over the the Faroe Islands. What is the sort of thoughts with the the Macedonian fans or, or the people that you know um, about this group, do you can you see them getting through? What what are the hopes of the of the country? I think when when the draw was made, it was kind of set in stone that we weren't gonna, unless a miracle, we weren't gonna make the top two. Um, the, the players are well are very well liked. Obviously, get into the Euros and kind of they've been a good team the last couple of years. They've been been able to support them. Obviously. We panned have retired and we had a change of manager after the Euros and Malevsky came from our under-21s, was highly thought of, but he hasn't been able to quite get his mark on this team. He's kind of mentioned about playing possession-style football, but there's a lot of possession and not much really happening in the final third. Right. And a lot of people have been calling for him to be sacked or look at replacements. There should be pressure on him. But he's well supported by the Federation and obviously the Federation don't really care, care what the fans have to say. Hmm. But 
it seems to be he isn't the best supported manager. The team is still well supported, but the manager kind of makes it quite difficult to to support this team. He's very hypocritical. He says things like, I only want to call players up who've been playing, you know, in their best form for club. But then you'll see there's about five or six names on the list who don't even play for their clubs and players who have been left out who are playing for their club. I think some England fans might say the same yeah. if, uh, with Gareth Southgate. Yeah, it, well, in his defence, the, the sort of players who haven't been playing are similar to the like Maguire situation, let's say, because they do play well for the national team. Right. But he makes a big point of being in their best form and, that, and you know, it's, he kind of picks and chooses when he uses that saying to gotcha. suit him sort of thing. I see. The game against Italy, you mentioned it there in, in Palermo where you beat them. It was, it was 1-0 and was it last last minute or something, wasn't it? Yeah, last minute, yeah. How, how must that have been? Were, were you there? Did you go? or what was... I was at the game, yeah. How was um, that? I, I, well, the, the, the whole day was kind of, I remember going around Italy, I had my, my Pandev top on and obviously he played in Italy his whole career and people kind of, were going, oh, Pandev being friendly, nice, of course. And um, but a lot of, they, were, they were quite quick to write us off. They're saying 4-0 Italy didn't really give us much chance. And I remember saying to um, a couple of Italians, because their English isn't the best down there, a couple of them who could speak English, I, I predicted 1-0 Tchaikovsky. Oh, right. Because the story going into the game was Tchaikovsky used to play for Palermo for a couple of years. Right. And um, they also had their financial problems and went down to the third tier. So we had two Mastins, Nestorovsky and Tchaikovsky. Nestorovsky wasn't in the squad. He had an ACL injury and was, wasn't playing for his club. And Tchaikovsky was effectively, I wouldn't say a legend, but he's, they, they like, like him out there. And um, my prediction was one there. I remember saying it to a security guard outside a, a shopping centre. Yeah. And um, so the game, I, I still, I, I remember it, but I don't. It's sort of a blur. And I remember a lot of heart in mouth moments because we could, tried to play out the back, tried to play possession. We didn't really, we didn't, I don't think the whole game, we didn't create a clear goal scoring opportunity. And then 92nd minute or something, one long ball, one, uh, Mielski won the header and Tchaikovsky just, just hit it. It was, it happened so quickly, but also when that shot was hit, it felt so slow as well at the same time. Right. And um, I remember just looking around and I didn't know how to react. There's people crying, there's people jumping on their seats, flares going off. And yeah, it was, it was an incredible moment. And I still oh. speechless. I still don't know what to say about it. <laughs> so a pro- proper football moment, that one. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. I mean, do you go to, be, being in England here, do you manage to get to go to some of the, the home games for Macedonia? Because obviously we've got the game yeah. coming up, I believe, in November. Um, in Is it Skopje? Is that how you pronounce it? Scopier, yeah. Scopier. Um, many England fans will be looking at how to to get there. Do you go to the, the home games? Um, normally, it doesn't quite align when I go back. I normally go in the summer around mm. August, July time. So I, I catch the, the domestic league, but I don't, I haven't been to too many um, games in Macedonia. But I would. I am looking to go to the England one in Scopier. Okay. Yeah, I think it'll be... Uh, 
but I've, I've booked some flights. Um, I'm just obviously waiting for, for tickets to, to come about. Um, yeah. so yeah, hopefully we can, we can speak nearer the time on that one. You can maybe give us a guide to what Scopia is like and, and things to see and do there. But, um, yeah, but maybe back to the, to the game at Old Trafford. I, I know you've got a ticket for that one. Is, is there much of a Macedonian community here in England that'll be sort of filling out an away end? Um, I know there is a good, 500 600 who have got their tickets and they're ready to go the Macedonian sort of mindset is is never good about sport it's always thinking the worst instead of the best so a lot of people have thinking what's the point of me going up to Old Trafford to watch us lose but then on the other hand a lot of people want to enjoy the experience so I think there will be a decent turnout I don't think it'll be sold out but I think there'll be five six hundred Macedonian fans uh, so hopefully it'll be a uh, be a good game. And let's say it's been two draws between the two nations um, on English yeah. soil. Would you be prepared to uh, to put a scoreline on this one? My heart says I think you can get something, but my head rules out completely. I think I'd be happy with three 0 England if we could keep <laughs> the score down. To be honest, right. <laughs> Well, we shall see. We shall see. Um, yeah, tell us once more the the Twitter account where we can can find you. Yeah, it's at Macedonian foot and then underscore. And is that the the only sort of social media that that you're um, pushing the the Macedonian football on? You on anything else? I have an Instagram, and I think it's the same. Just Macedon- football Macedonia. Oh, okay. I'm not as active on that. Yeah, nice. Join the club. There's only so much you can <laughs> actually do, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, Alex. Thank you very much for for joining us and just giving us a uh, an insight into uh, into the Macedonian side of football things. Um, yeah, it'd be great to speak further down the line when uh, the away game comes around. If you're up for that, absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to it already. Thank you for having me. So that wraps up this episode. My many thanks go to Antone Pusoletti from MortarFootball.com. Thanks to John Costadine from Manchester Taxi Tours and Alex there from Macedonia Football. Without them, the podcast wouldn't be the same. So go check them out or, or give them a follow. Sadly, I'm not in a position to be going to Malta. So, of course, I'm jealous of those that are heading that way. Uh, enjoy it. Have a safe trip. And I'm sure I'll be hearing all about it from many of you when I head to Manchester a couple of days later. I'll be back with an episode looking back on both of those games. I hope you can join me for it. So until then, look after yourselves. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.